0: Welcome to Interplay Conversations in Music. This is Michael Shapiro, your host. Today I'm joined by Maestro Michael Christie. Thank you, Michael, for joining me. It's a pleasure. Now, we're slightly separated in distance. I'm here in Chappaqua, New York. You're out there in the Twin Cities, I think, right? Yep, with lots of snow already. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. More coming. Yeah, we have relatives, actually, in, in Minneapolis. So I hear all about it at, the, at a lake yeah. not so far from you in Eden Prairie. Nice. Yes, sir. In any event, I do want to talk about the New West Symphony, which is a fascinating development in your life. Mm. But if you don't mind my going back and talking a little about the world of opera and the world of symphony, which you have touched in both. Now, there were conductors in the 19th century and the 20th century who talked about getting the apprenticeship, as it were, in opera and then going into, into symphony. And there are many examples of this, Toscanini being the most famous, but Plempera and Valter go down the list. Now you, you did that in essence, did you not? But at the same time, you were always conducting symphony. So talk to me about how they've related it, at least in your life, if you would. Sure. I think what
1: was very interesting about the beginning of my my professional life was that it was happening at a time in the mid 90s when orchestras and opera companies for that matter were almost inexplicably taking a chance on very young conductors because there was before that i don't think you you could be it would be imagined that you'd be more than really an apprentice conductor or an assistant conductor but suddenly these suddenly there was a change in the in the mentality of what what the the nurturing of a young person might be in the field. And um, at that time, Franz welser Must, then music director of the Zurich Opera, uh, who was on a panel for the Sibelius conducting competition where I participated, pulled me aside and said, look, it seems like you have some, some understanding for, for how this whole conducting thing works, but you need to come to the opera house and really learn about the the inner workings of music and drama and storytelling and and the craft. And so for about four years, I was his assistant at the Zurich Opera doing all the ballet productions, uh, taking over productions once they were in the in the repertory doing all the staging sessions collaborating with the directors with the singers it, it was it was great so they there, i was very very grateful and some some other conductors i know jim gaffigan for example um, also worked with franz in zurich um, and yes i was also concurrently working in, in a in a very introductory way into the symphonic world in Scandinavia. I got my first job in Australia as music director of the Queensland Symphony. So uh, I think even at that time, which still is something that still is pervasive today, there was a symphony track and there was an opera track. And somehow I was managing to keep my feet uh separate and and having one and in, in either camp and that was just that has been something i've fought for um to this day because it's it's really hard
0: the interesting thing too for the conductors i mentioned you know vine gottner was another one uh, he's the one who talked about you have to have 14 years in the opera house and then you can do symphony which i've always felt to be kind of interesting but Don't you believe that when you're conducting opera and you've got the the people on the stage and you're at a distance from them, depending upon the house, that you learn a certain flexibility that when you start doing anything in symphony life, it's incredibly helpful. It's liberating,
1: I think, actually. And uh, although I do find sometimes working with various orchestras that they are that they are have been conditioned to. Uh, Expect every little gesture to come from the conductor every musical gesture and so sometimes i have i have definitely found that um there's been a friction when i would say to somebody oh great yeah um yeah i hear how you're taking time there and i can accommodate that and they'll say well is that what you want and i'll say well it's within the range of expectations for how this will go and if that's how (laughs) you feel it i can accommodate that and sometimes that's worked really well and the orchestra has been like oh great fantastic there's flexibility and then other times there's this feeling like well do you want that or not so that i i definitely have found that part of the juggling act to be a little um it's it's like a little bit of a job um uh hazard when you when you go and meet an orchestra
0: i understand completely what you're talking about because some orchestras know how to breathe and other ones you have to learn them how to breathe in certain ways and coming out of the opera house and doing a lot of vocal music there's definitely that issue.
1: Um, Roboto. I find Roboto with an orchestra that um, exactly. isn't as used to the idea of breathing to be real, prob- really problematic. Often, they will rush up to the point where we should slow down, and then suddenly hit the brakes. Mm-hmm. And to to get the ensemble to feel the space of the few seconds before that as a as a as a um, a fertile ground to let things start to expand is very confronting. And it's re- it just depends on their tradition, I think.
0: Have you conducted Delius in your life? I asked for a reason. Oh. Uh,
1: boy, a very, very long time ago. Actually in Australia, because the those tone poems would have been <laughs> more on the minds of the more British-oriented Australian orchestras. So
0: the reason I bring it up is that I tried the Cuckoo piece with an American orchestra, and they didn't oh. know how to do it. It was really interesting, and I had to breathe every phrase. Now, Mm. accompanying is something that's quite interesting. People used to talk about Eugene Ormandy being the best accompanist that anybody had ever seen. And he didn't come from the opera tradition at all. He came from kind of the theater tradition. He worked in Mm. film houses, you know. But he had an innate quality of listening, maybe from his work as a violinist and chamber music. But don't you feel that your work with singers has allowed you to be... uh, first class accompanist doesn't it give you a certain leg up uh i think it gives it gives me more confidence in
1: knowing that everybody understands how the the tug and pull will work so um yeah i i just think that not only is it is it what they're producing musically but it's also you start to get into their head about how they're how they're forming a vowel how they are getting ready for something you can tell if they're maybe vocally um, need a little bit of help or if actually they're really cruising forward and i think that applies to pianists as well as clarinetists and other oh, um, experiences in a company, you can you it, it, it doesn't it doesn't just become how are they executing those notes on the page. It uh-huh. you really start to appreciate, as you said before, about that distance. Negotiating the distance, uh-huh. negotiating the fact those singers are have lights shining directly in their eyes and it's hard for them to see and they all they hear is this muffled sound. There's just all these factors. And when you can when you can just relax and know that there will be a moment for you to uh, exert the momentum that's required and when they are going to, and it's not personally offensive to your musicality, mm-hmm. then, then you're, I think you're doing okay.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about style. You're a conductor who's done everything. I mean, if you look at your resume and your list of pieces in your, in your background, your repertoire, it's immense. And that's from your work in symphony conducting and your work certainly in opera. You've done a a great deal of operatic premieres, many by friends of mine, okay? Mm. And I remember when you were in Brooklyn and I know what you did in Phoenix and so forth, and now with New West. I'm gonna talk about New West programming shortly. But I'm curious about the study of style. For example, when you're starting a new piece, there's no real history unless you've worked with the composer in the past. Right. So what is your way of getting into the style of that composer? And then we'll go back to people like Wolfgang in the back here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting I think, thought. Uh, yeah, I think one of the, the, uh, the truly
1: liberating things about having an interpretive angle about Mozart, for example, is working with living composers because you realize that the dots on the page that they have there are a close approximation to the timing, to the feel, to the to the the energy of what they're looking for and there's no way that that humanity would be different between Mozart and Kevin putz for example they're 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 de- they are they fam- they're have families and they're paying bills and they're, you know, they're, and they're creating music <laughs> and reflecting what's around them so you know Mozart wasn't in a bubble and immune from that so that's all in, all in that music so I think for for living composers you know it's always starting with a phone call to just start to understand what they're looking for some composers you can really tell that mm-hmm. they have invested so much in everything every particular detail that they've written down that you will get the best relationship out of them if you really try to um, execute on that. And other composers, they'll say,, yeah, I really want to get that sweep there and I know that I didn't write a cellando because I didn't want it to rush but you know, let it feel like it's pushing forward. So you really start to get a, you start <laughs> to get a sense of what their um, how their
0: musical intention relates to what they've actually written on the page. There's a wonderful story about Toscanini going to Verdi at the end of Verdi's life and going over some part. I think of the Requiem or the Te Deum, and Toscanini pointed to a few bars. He said, "You know, Maestro, you don't say poco accelerando." Verdi went, "I knew you would feel it. That's why I didn't put it in." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. An interesting I, part. I think, yeah,
1: I think it's it's really true, um, and I think it it makes me. It just makes me my stomach get a little tight when I hear somebody say "come scritto," and you just hear and, and that I'm it says a, an eighth note rest, so it will have this duration. This says a half note, it will have this duration. Start, stop, and I just think, oh yeah, I know, especially but especially in opera when there's an emotional uh, sigh or if there's an if there is a, a a gesture that has m- uh, movement, don't you want to let it? just a little bit <laughs> so it makes me nervous when when people say that because i i think yes of course you can you can check the box of 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 having the sound stop exactly at that moment maybe you're not exact well i won't say that you're getting that you aren't getting the intention
0: because sure it's there but it makes me nervous <laughs> let's talk about another nervous i love talking to shop by the way as you've just noticed when you go to new orchestras that you've never been to before, talk about that versus being with some orchestra for a long period of time. I know the the, the issues that face one because often one feels like one is a substitute teacher. Right. This is an issue facing the nation. My teacher, Harold Farman, told me years ago, he says, in a minute and a half, they're going to follow you or they won't. <laughs> That's yeah. what he used to say. But there was truth to that comment, don't you think?
1: Yeah, um, very early in my time, uh, actually, after this competition, in Finland in 1995, um, uh, Henry Vogel, who was then running the Chicago Symphony said, as Franz welser must did, he said, you know, I want you to come and spend some time with just sitting in rehearsals with the CSO and just just be a fly on the wall an apprentice type thing with, with Maestro Berenboim and come and see the different conductors. And so before my position in Zurich started, I did this little zoom back and forth between um, Oberlin College, where I was finishing up, and, and Chicago. And um, and of course, w- working with Maestro Berenboim was fantastic on so many levels. Um, but as to this very question about the the impression you get with an orchestra, it was actually Pierre Boulez. I remember sitting in the, in the conductor's suite with him looking at Dumbarton Oaks, and um, and I asked him a couple of questions and I said, so Maestro, when you are in front of the orchestra, what is your strategy? And he said, no matter what happens, get to the end. They need to know the feeling, not only the musical thing that you're that we're all aiming for together, but they need to know that you can get to the end, that you have a that you have a feeling for what the piece is supposed to do. And from that moment on, for the last 25 years, every rehearsal every first rehearsal is a read through, top to bottom, even if it's a disaster. I will always say, "We have time to come back to that, don't worry. Let's just keep moving on." So I try to consciously avoid that moment where three, five, seven minutes into it, everybody says why did you stop? What do you want? I, I just I just take that out of the equation. And then they can judge
0: me they can judge me however else they no, want to. No, it's because you show your musicianship Beecham talked about it. He says with the Royal Philharmonic the young conductor comes in, he stops here, he stops there, you know. He says I go through the whole thing. Then I go back to a few places, you know, Beecham <laughs> a few places, yeah. I fix them they, do, can, they can do it a lot of orchestras, too, that I find, uh, if they're doing traditional rep, they may not have done it for four, five, seven years. So right. they want to go through it. So they reacquaint themselves. Yeah. The New West Symphony, let's go there. Because you are doing things now in face of this pandemic, which is wonderful. You're trying to get the orchestra out there, not only with your own podcasts where you have your jukebox and talk about it, which is fabulous. Right. But also getting the orchestra out. Now, you have a planned season, which is really the international face of Los Angeles County, In my, when you look at it. I mean, I've just got the, 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 my notes here, and it's, it's vi- Violins of Hope, Black History Month, South Korea, Persian, Mexico, China, um, right. and other locales. But how they relate also to Los Angeles County and California. So talk to me, please, if you would, and to our audience about the vision of this wonderful orchestra and how you are accommodating not only the world of pandemic and virtual, but also the the communities in your location in California.
1: So um, the New West Symphony is made up of musicians uh, from Los Angeles and ventura counties Uh, many of them are playing in the studios they're on star trek star wars films (laughs) scores and uh uh james cameron john williams you name it all those those film scores my colleagues are are playing on and still today actually they're even in in the pandemic they're home in their studios uh recording just one person to the click track etc so uh, it's a great skillful um group that really uh, relishes the opportunity to play together with that with that um, very visceral symphonic music because a lot of them do really just have to play to that click often in their in their kind of day day jobs. So uh, it's it's a great it's a it's a great energy there. And when I got there, I well actually went. I'll just step back just a second to say that when I was asked by their general manager to come in for a colleague who was ill, he said, "Oh." we're doing a search, but I know you're doing this opera thing and everything else. And so just, just and We'll don't, don't feel intimidated by the search process. So we got there and I'm looking around and working with the colleagues and just thinking, a, these people are amazing. And B the CEO, Natalia Staneva, we were talking about the community development strategies that I had been employing with lots of other communities in the past and, and other, other activity. And and I said, you know, what what would happen if would you cons- what would you consider happening um, if I brought a number of these ideas that had already been successful in other communities, and you don't have to you don't have to recreate the wheel. And she said, get yourself in this in this search process, and we'll talk. And so it it happened that way. I was appointed, and right away I said, one of the first things I want to implement is adding a, a whole expansive programming in the intermission. And so we've actually turned the intermission into this Q&A, new music, uh, swirling format so that audience members can choose to experience different uh, interfaces with artists or they can head out to the the lobby and, and enjoy their wine. And they've got this choice time, which I think has been really fascinating. And we only got a few concerts to implement it, but um, it was terrific how, how people um, were participating in that. Um, so that was that was a, a really great start. We also um, started making a certain thematic approach to the programming. Uh, I didn't want to overwhelm people with with themes because I had done some of that approach early, and it just got it just got confusing for people. So a couple of of performances were themed, and others were, um, you know, balanced more traditionally, I
0: suppose. But, well so, yes. Let's talk about selection of repertoire, though, because this, to yeah. me, as an American composer, having gone through years of blight and prosperous harvest, <laughs> I, I've seen it all, you know, from the days of Metropolis and Lenny in the early days when I was a kid and then Stokey and so forth to more contemporary situations where, where things were good and things were not so good. Yeah. The band world, which you know, the wind ensemble world, wants new music. Yes. They are looking to develop a repertoire. And if you go to the Midwest Convention, people just, Oh, what are you working on? Well, you know, it's this ripe thing. This has not been true in symphonic music. And it's the reason that I became a conductor again after conducting as a young man and, and then later, twenty years ago, said, I'm not gonna wait. I'm gonna record my own things and therefore I've been working in Birmingham and and Wales at this BBC and doing that kind of stuff. You don't do that, which I love about your conducting. And as an American composer, I'm telling you that it's been wonderful watching what you've done. Because in every one of your concerts, you're like Kusevitsky. You, you look for new things to con- to contrast with necessarily the old and the dead, if I may use a term like right. that. Right, <laughs> right. But, you know, talk about your programming for New West. It's highly vibrant.
1: Well, I... I I think having done this for twenty five years, I've, I've come up with a bit of a strategy um, overall. Like I think the audience, I think the audience does need a um, a piece to sink their teeth into, like a Shahrazad, for example. But then after that, I really feel like um, adding a surprise element is always interesting. So for my first concert there um, in the season pre COVID, uh, we did John Corigliano's Salute, which has. The chorus or the orchestra playing their parts on kazoo's, <laughs> just icebreaker icebreaker type things. Um, I really do try to put an emphasis on American artistry, I suppose not just not just American artists or American composers necessarily, but like a, an umbrella about artistry. So working with Marcus Roberts, working with David Krakauer, working with artists doing different things. Um, one thing that this intermission concept has allowed me to say to our audience there. Is that whether you want to hear it or not, uh, there will be on offer for you a new piece on every concert, which you will have never heard before. And I'm very, very deliberate about making sure that the orchestra had never played it before. And then the audience gets to choose. Now, before COVID hit, we had probably 85% of the audience come back because there are five-minute pieces at the end of the intermission. But it was so great to be able to say to the people who were uh, looking for that new music experience, um, you will have it every time. Every time you come to one of our performances, you'll have that. And of course it's curated. I'm thinking about that, um, that excited concert goer who's doing another career who doesn't know puts versus Poulenc, you know, who, <laughs> I don't expect them to know that, but I know that. So I'm going to curate that experience for them. So I think a lot of it, a lot of the programming strategy is about in the season, a, um, like anybody else would do a mix of different kinds of artists, um, allowing there to be a, a little bit of audience interaction where there may be something new happening and what this online world has. Allowed us to do now is that we can create content around the explanation part, which is enormously full because we're not we're not subjecting eighteen hundred people to a, a conductor way down there uh, addressing the audience. We we it's can so old do school. This.
0: It, isn't it so old school, Michael? It's, it's so old school, school, and yet it's, I mean by God, it's
1: on people's desks now. It's amazing, that's and that's right. what that's where we've pivoted now, which I think is really exciting.
0: Well, from the get-go. I mean, I've been following your career other than your flying. I've been, t- <laughs> I've been following your career as far as the things you did in, in Phoenix, for example, where you tried to show that the conductor was not some old European guy who comes out and bows to the audience and then they never see him again. You were out there yeah. with the community, really connecting. And you've done that everywhere you've worked, which to me has been so refreshing. Michael, after the pandemic is over, there has been talk, and I speak to people in the opera world and the symphonic world who run, you know, organizations and halls. There's a thought that not everybody's coming back so fast. What do you think? Well,
1: my my biggest concern uh, is that there will be a group of our audience that won't or can't come back to the hall, uh, at least for a number of seasons. And one of the things that I think is really important for us to do right now is to lay track for them, to get them comfortable with the technology, uh, enable them to see how the extra content can work, how they can experience on their smart TV, or or even their their laptop the concert experience and it gives us the experience of of creating that for them as well so that's one of the big things that we're that we're really thinking about as we create these docu concerts is what the what the what the orchestra concert goer who can't come will experience at home so that they will, they will be confident to say, yes, I want to hear the New West Symphony because I love the mix of classical and new, cultural, et cetera, et cetera. And I know it's on this channel, so to speak. And that's one of our big missions
0: with, with our activities during COVID. It's wonderful. And I think it's something that's so needed now in, as we progress to the next stage. Michael, this has been a thrill talking to you on Interplay. Thank you so much for joining I'm me, sure. Michael Christie.
1: Good luck, everybody. Stay healthy.
0: Thank you. This is Michael Shapiro, your host, Interplay Conversations and in Music.